All right, I want you to turn your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 25. 2 Chronicles chapter 25. I want to read one verse there and then we'll skip over to 2 Chronicles chapter 16. 2 Chronicles chapter 25. I want you to notice verse 2. Speaking of King Amaziah, God records this. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a perfect heart. Here's a man who did right, but his heart was not right. Now, turn back to chapter 16. And I want you to notice verse 9. And notice the commentary here. Chapter 16 of 2 Chronicles. We're going to look at verse 9. Notice the scripture says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Herein thou hast done foolishly. Therefore from henceforth thou shalt have wars. I want to preach the message tonight, doing right doesn't make one right. I could follow that up with, but doing wrong does make you wrong. All right, but doing right does not make one right. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus, and I plead with you again this evening for the filling of the Holy Ghost of God. Lord, I pray you deal with our hearts. Lord, we have sought here in this place to take a stand for you, to call evil evil and good good. And Lord, some people try to misuse what we say to have us saying something that we're not saying. So Lord, I pray tonight at least our people would be clear about this so that they not be easily led astray by those who call evil good and good evil. Lord, have your way in every life and we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. One of the arguments that's often been used against churches that preach on holiness and righteousness and preach against sin, uh, literally they preach standards for God's people of righteousness. Their argument is this, standards do not make you right with God. Now that's a true statement. Because we preach standards and also because, like us, a lot of our churches have had Christian schools where we have handbooks. Matter of fact, I think some people are more, um, let's say I'm trying to think of the word, they're more loyal to the handbook than they are the word of God. Uh, Understand that we have rules in our handbook that are not necessarily right and wrong. It's just that somebody has to draw the line someplace and uh, we're going to enforce it where we draw the line. That's all there is to it. Uh, For instance, I'll give you for instance, uh, for the boys, their hair is to be off the ear. That's not to say when their hair touches the ear that they're into sin. It just means we have a standard in our school that says for those that are in the school, the boys, the hair's got to be off the ear. Now, Brother Joe would work very good in our school. His hair is off the ear. Amen. No problem. We've got a couple other like that as well. So praise the Lord. Uh, But the reality is if we're not careful, we begin to look at our outward list of do's and don'ts. And by our outward list of do's and don'ts, we judge the spirituality of people by them. Now, some call it the list. 
And the list may be made up of a number of things. Usually those who are going to complain about the list are those who don't like the list. But the list would be something like this. You ought to read your Bible. You ought to read your Bible every day. That ought to be one of the number one things on the list. You ought to pray every day. You should attend every service of your local church. At the time that the assembly assembles, you ought to be assembled with the assembly. If you're not assembling, why aren't you there? You're part of the local church. You ought to go soul winning. Or you ought to be witnessing for the Lord. Uh, Don't drink. I'm talking about alcohol. Part of the list. Don't cuss. Don't go to movies and dances. Women ought to dress modestly and shouldn't dress up in men's apparel any more than what men should dress up in a woman's apparel. Amen. Just makes sense. Now, if you don't agree with me right now, I'm not saying you're a worthless, sorry Christian. Not saying that at all. You'll get this in just a minute. By, oh, in the list, you should tithe. I mean, every Christian ought to tithe. You say, I don't make much. If you make a dollar, you ought to give a dime to God. If you make ten, you ought to give one to God. Now, think about it for just a moment. You can't get, we're so concerned about fair today. You can't get any fairer than that. I mean, think about this. If a person makes $1,000, he gives $100 to God. person only made 10 just gives one. So the people who make more have to give more. That just makes sense. There's nothing wrong with that. Anyway, that's a Bible teaching. Now, some would add some other things, and you may be thinking of some other things right now. But I want to make some observations about the list. Okay, number one, neither the list... Nor the law of God saves anybody. There's not a thing I read on that list that will save anybody. Now, it's important that we understand that. There are lost people who do the things that are on that list. And they're still lost. Do you realize there are lost people that read their Bible? And they're still lost. There are lost people that pray. And they're still lost. There are lost people that attend every service of whatever church it is that they attend... But they're still lost. I'm saying neither the list nor the law saves anybody. Uh, There are a lot of cultists who believe another gospel, who do everything on the list that I just read to you. It doesn't save anybody. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 is very plain. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You say, well, preacher, what about the law? For, uh, let's see, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Galatians 2.16. Verse 21, I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. You may look at the law of God and you may be like that rich young ruler and say, well, I've kept all those things from my youth up. Well, number one, you're a liar. You haven't kept them all. Nobody's kept them all. And we are guilty. That's the law tells us we're guilty, but the law cannot justify us or make us just before God. It simply shows us our sinful condition. In Romans chapter 4, he says, beginning in verse 3, For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is a reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, even his faith 
shall be counted for righteousness. So whether it's the list or whether it's the law, it makes no difference. They cannot save you. So you see somebody who's doing all these things, we automatically think, wow, they must be good Christians. They may not even be Christians. Because neither the list nor the law saves anybody. You say, what does it? Believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now see, the Jews had trouble with that. In Romans chapter 10, the apostle Paul writes and he says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to righteousness, that they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. You see, uh, you would then say, and here's what people would say, since the list of the law doesn't save you, then it's not important. Well, is that true at all? Then why does the scripture say so much about the thou shalts and the thou shalt nots? Why does God tell us so much about things that we are not to do and things we are supposed to do? I mean, even in those books that major on grace, there still are activities that we are clearly told we're not to do. As a matter of fact, in Ephesians chapter 5, he tells us that there's some things that are not to be named once among the brethren. But that doesn't mean the doing of those things sends a person to hell because you're not saved by either keeping or not keeping the law. Well, uh, we're going to say more about some of these other things in a moment, but it does not save you. Number two, that neither the law nor the list make you spiritual. Let's go through the list. Uh, Can you read the Bible and not be spiritual? Sure you can. Reading the Bible doesn't make you spiritual. And yet, reading the Bible helps you to be spiritual. You get that? Praying doesn't necessarily make you spiritual. Think about the man, the Pharisee in Luke chapter 18. He prayed thus with himself, Jesus said, God, I thank thee that I'm not like that man. Now, that Pharisee, Jesus said, went to his house, still not justified. He prayed, but he was still lost. So you understand, not only it doesn't save you, but praying does not necessarily make you spiritual. I've seen people lined up at the Wailing Wall over in Jerusalem, and my, they can pray doing this for hours, and they put their prayer requests on little slips of paper and stick them into the cracks in the wall. But that doesn't make them saved or spiritual either one. And yet prayer, spending time truly talking with God, does help you to be more spiritual. How about this one? How about not drinking? You know, there are people out there who don't drink, but they're not spiritual. And yet drinking can hurt your spirituality. If you have any, there are certain things that you wouldn't do. Well, what about not cussing? I'm against cussing. I hope you're against cussing. If not, you need to be against cussing. I've heard some preachers think they were being funny and saying, I don't cuss. But if you'll write a few words down, I'll sign them. And I'm thinking, not me, buddy. I'm not signing my name to anything like that. I mean, that's terrible. Why would I want to take, why would I want to take credit for doing something I believe is totally sinful and wicked? I wouldn't do it. 
But I know people who don't cuss, but they're still not spiritual. So not cussing doesn't make them spiritual. But you would sure look down on me as a pastor if you heard me cussing. Matter of fact, you'd look down on me as a Christian if I was saying foul, vile words. I have to confess to you, in my almost 50 years of pastoring, I have been shocked at some of the words I've heard come out of the mouth of born-again believers in a time of trial. Cursing is never right. We've got a language where you can express yourself without being vulgar about it. Well, you say, uh, I don't see uh, where if I go to the movies and the dances, I don't see where that's going to hurt me. That doesn't mean I'm not spiritual. Well, if you're ignorant of it, then yes, I can understand that. But I got news for you. Going to the movies and the dances isn't going to make you spiritual either. Well, what about the clothes? I mean, after all, we talked this morning about women dressing modestly. Uh, what about that? Uh, does that mean a person's not spiritual? I've got to say, I've seen some Christian ladies in churches, especially where they're not taught right, where things aren't preached, who aren't dressed like I think Christian women ought to dress. And I mean some godly women, some women who love the Lord, who serve the Lord. The best they know how and the best they've been told. Let's face it. If they have a preacher that's not going to get up and preach it, how would you expect them to know it? Now, some, just by reading their Bible, they come up with it. But most people think when they get into a church, well, hey, the women dress this way. It must be okay. Evidently, when I went to Brother Allison's church, he's just an old fuddy-duddy. Hmm. Going to church three times a week doesn't make you spiritual. But hearing the word of God can help you to be spiritual. We need it. Matter of fact, Timothy was commanded, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. I'm reminded we had somebody said to me, uh, no, this is a few years ago now. I uh, said, preacher, you talk about that reproving and rebuking and exhorting. Perhaps we have too much of that and not enough love. Then why did he tell me to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine? Why did he say that? Because we need it. Now you can be, you can sit there and listen to it and be rebellious about it. Yeah, it won't make you spiritual hearing it. It depends on how you act upon it. That helps in your spirituality. Tithing doesn't necessarily make you spiritual. But I believe if you're spiritual, you're going to want to give to God. If you're spiritual. So here, here's a man, here's one man, and he ties to his local church. Here's another man who ties to his local church. And this one over here does it because that's what he's been taught, but he doesn't have a love for God. And here's one who does it just because he loves God. You got one that's spiritual, one that's not spiritual. Tithing doesn't make this other one spiritual. He's just doing it because that's what mom and daddy taught him. And he figures it must just be right to do. There are some... Young people, unfortunately, think that they're special kids because they go to a Christian school. I'll tell you, I've seen reprobates in Christian schools. I've seen reprobates come out of home schools. I've seen reprobates come out of public schools. Matter of fact, one of the great heroes of the Bible, Moses, went to the Egyptian schools. 
You see, that it really, whether how spiritual you are, young people, it doesn't have to do with which school you're taught in. It has to do with your heart toward God and toward his word. Now, by the way, I've also, let me say this. I've got to put this in here. I've seen some very godly, spiritual young people come out of Christian schools. I've seen some godly, spiritual young people come out of home schools. And I've seen some godly, spiritual young people come out of the public schools. Each group, you still got to make some right decisions about things. For instance, you tell a child, you keep your room clean. Child doesn't want to do it. And so you take your belt off and you say, you clean up your room or else. And they clean it up. But it's obvious they don't want to clean it up. Now, they're obeying, but they're not right. You understand? I'm just simply saying, and we can go through all these lists, but that doesn't make a person spiritual. These may be things that you ought to do or things that you're not supposed to do, but whether or not you obey in those does not make you a spiritual person necessarily. And on top of that, obviously, they don't make you saved. So the list cannot save and the list cannot make you spiritual. However, and I want you to get a hold of this. Very important you understand that. For uh, some who watch on the Internet, some who watch on the Internet, just to simply find fault, I want you to get a hold of this. The list, however, can help you to be spiritual. If you read your Bible, that can help you to be spiritual. I got saved in 1971, and immediately I fell in love with the Word of God. The next few months after being saved, I read through my New Testament. I believe it was five times in the first, well, the first five or six months of being saved. I just fell in love with it. Man, I didn't read the Bible before, but when I got saved, I started reading the book. I want to know what God had to say. I learned so many things. And when I got done with the New Testament, man, I, I went into the Old Testament. I didn't know that Noah got drunk after the flood. That was such a shock to me. What about that? There were a lot of things I learned that I, I mean, I'd heard parts of some of the stories, but I didn't know any of that stuff. I learned that. By the way, God didn't commend him for that either. Uh Matter of fact, praying. I believe that praying, walking with God, some of the most special times that I've had in my life have just been times alone with the Lord. Some people think their prayer life is all, Lord, forgive me, now give me. Forgive me, now give me. For if that's all your prayer life is, it's not a very spiritual prayer life, and that's not going to help you a whole lot. You need times alone with God. You've heard me tell you this, that quite often I'll use the auditorium as my prayer closet and uh, have all the lights off. There's still enough light coming in where I don't walk. I know, I know where the pews are at. And so I don't run into those or anything. And I'll walk around and praying. And I'll get to praying for you church members. And since basically you normally sit in the same place, when I get to a certain place, I mean, I know the Williams are almost always down here. And the Casey's are pretty close to behind them. And so when I'm walking right through there, I know to pray for the Williams. And I know to pray for the Casey's. And Sex Snyder's somewhere around in here. I know to pray for him. And the Nelsons, when I get over in this section, pray for them. And, of course, the Palmers always sit right there. Now, don't mess me up the next service by sitting someplace else. 
because that confuses me. Snyder's normally sit back here, so I pray for them then. And the Boyds are back here. I pray for them then. And I've got drinkards uh, over here. And I've got uh, Brother Barbie's over here, usually around someplace. I mean, you realize how much that helps me to pray if you sit in the same place? But you've got to be willing to not make a big deal of it when a visitor comes and sits in your place. Just shut up. All right. I don't want to leave you guys out over here because a lot of times you folks sit in the same place. The Coxes will be there and the Greens will be there and the Uguabalams will be there and Brother Patterson and the Patterson family will be there. You know, you guys are seated just right tonight. Nobody messed up tonight in this section. Except for the little riches, they're normally over here. Be careful. You'll mess up my prayer life. But I tell you, when I'm especially burdened, though, it's this section right here. And I'll walk by it. I'll pray for the size more because they're always over here. But uh, when I'm just really burdened and just want to just spend some time with Jesus, I may be hurting about something are very troubled about something, I'll sit down right here and I'll just say, Jesus, let me sit in your lap for just a little bit and let's just love. And I'll just sit there like I'm sitting in his lap and just love him for a while. Now, I'm going to tell you what, that does a lot for my spirit, does a lot for my soul to know that he hears, he's interested in every part of my life. He knows my burdens. And he cares. He cares. You see, you can pray and not be spiritual, but it does help you to be spiritual if you pray. Now, I could mention things like drinking, of course. And, of course, I've run into so many drunks over the years. And coming from a drunkard's home, I never met a drunk who was spiritual. I've heard him talk a lot about God. Matter of fact, it's amazing how you could get drunks to pray at the drop of a hat who don't have a clue what they're praying and don't remember it the next day. Man, I just cried, shed tears. Of course, I've also meant the mad drunks. You know, although it doesn't make you spiritual necessarily not to drink, however... It would definitely interfere with any spirituality to drink. You see, disobedience to the list will hinder your spirituality. Whatever that list may be, and I only mentioned a few things. Obviously, there are a lot of things that a Christian should not do. And the Bible makes that very plain. There are things that a Christian should not do. He gives us principles so we can fit in as far as 2022 is concerned. Let's face it, there's a whole lot of things we could do today you couldn't do back in the year one. I mean, you couldn't, in the year one, you couldn't get into wrong sites on the internet. You couldn't watch a foul TV show. You couldn't go to the movies. There's a lot of things. You you couldn't drive 100 miles an hour down the road. They didn't make horses that fast. Couldn't be done. But I tell you what, the principles of this book fit every one of those situations today. I've had purpose. Well, you, you, you preachers, you just preach your convictions. Well, whose am I to preach? 
I mean, for the people that say that, I can't preach theirs, they don't have any. Really? As God's dealt with my heart about things, yes, I'm going to get up and preach it. What, whose convictions do you think Elijah preached? Or Elisha. And I'm no Elijah or Elisha, but the preacher's got to preach what they firmly believe the Word of God says. And by the way, what you do affects the spirituality of others. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 8. We'll not take the time to turn there tonight, but 1 Corinthians chapter 8 is plain. Your example, if it leads another Christian to do that, which they know to be wrong, you have sinned against Christ. And that's awful serious. I look at Jehoshaphat in the scripture. Jehoshaphat was one of those good kings. Jehoshaphat did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. He did a lot of good things. But we find Jehoshaphat, and this is the strangest thing, he made a deal with King Ahab, the most wicked king in the history of the northern kingdom. He makes a deal with Jehoshaphat, and their armies get defeated. Ahab gets killed. And then in the next chapter after that, we find Jehoshaphat making a deal with Ahab's wicked son. Did it affect anybody? Well, yes, his oldest son that became king after him married one of the daughters of King Ahab. And that son, as soon as he got power, killed all of Jehoshaphat's other sons. He did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. Where do you think he learned that kind of lifestyle? From his daddy going up and spending time with Ahab and then with Ahab's son. What we do does affect others. Every one of you believers need to understand this as you look at the young people at Madison Baptist Church when they see you out at Walmart, when they see you in town, and they see where you go, and they hear you talk, and the things that you say, I'll guarantee you it affects each one of the young people at Madison Baptist Church. I mean, they see you at church, and as far as they know, man, everybody here is just as spiritual as can be. And the funny thing about these children, especially if they're young enough, they'll say something to lost people they'll see in the store. I'm still reminded of a preacher who was in the area several years ago. He had a couple of cute little girls for daughters, and he was at a grocery store, and there was this big old tattooed biker dude that was standing right behind him in line, and he had an earring in his ear. And she turned around, his little daughter turned around and looked at that big biker dude and said to him that homosexuals wear earrings. And then she turned around and looked at her daddy and said, isn't that right, dad? Boy, he was in a tight spot. Now, you're going to ask me what he did, and I can't remember. I just thought the story was funny. All right. Okay, well, that brings us down then to the main point. Actually, all this has been introduction. Now we get to the message. But it's a one-point message. Then what determines spirituality? And the answer to that is your heart. Amaziah did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a perfect heart, and it brought on trouble. 
Ahaz was told, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in behalf of those whose hearts are perfect toward him. I think of the psalmist when he said one thing about I desire to the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire at his temple. I look at Psalm 42 in verses 1 and 2. As the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2, set your affections on things above. Notice, set your affections on things above and not on things in the earth. The truth is, and I hope I say this right, if I don't, you figure out what would, what would have been right to say, but God will bless a right heart under a wrong head more than he'll bless a wrong heart under a right head. I'm almost positive I said that correctly. And I'm going to try it one more time. God will bless a right heart under a wrong head more than he'll bless a right, right head over a wrong heart. It was easier the first time. I mean, I look at some people. Peter Cartwright was, was one of those circuit-riding preachers. And he was a Methodist. Uh, this man loved the Lord. He was saved, no doubt. And boy, he preached righteousness and holiness as he was on his circuit and all that. He stopped by one, one town and they were having a big barn dance. And of course, when something like that went on back there in the 1700s, uh, that was a big deal. Of course, he comes into town. He notices everybody's at this place. He goes in because that's where all the people were at. And a young lady came up to him and asked him to dance. And he said, all right. And he took her by the hand and went out into the center of the floor. And he got down on his knees and he started praying. Lord, this young lady has asked me to dance. And I would never do it, Lord, unless you told me to. I don't believe that what they do is of you. So, Lord, unless you lead me otherwise, I'm not going to do it. Right in front of everybody he did that. He had a heart for God. Do you know some people that have got wrong heads, some doctrinal issues and things like that, have a right heart for God? God will bless a right heart under a wrong head because the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in behalf of those whose hearts are perfect toward him. I can't always guarantee that my head's right, but I can make sure that my heart's right. Charles Finney, in the early days of his ministry, if you were to read his autobiography, the first 25 years of his ministry were absolutely amazing. The power of God was definitely upon him. And part of the reason for that was that he had a man who traveled with him by the name of Mr. Nash. And before Finney would go into a town to preach, Mr. Nash would go in some six weeks before. And he would spend those six weeks praying in the woods all around the town. Praying late into the night, praying for God's power to fall. And Charles Finney would come into the town 
And sometimes just walking down the street, according to the testimony in the book, people would just fall down in front of them and start crying and weeping over their sin. Back then, it was not uncommon for a preacher to be invited into a factory and to preach to the crowd that was there. And there were times that Finney would go in and before he ever said a word, people would be weeping and crying where they were at at their station. The great power of God was manifested in those first 25 years of his 50-year ministry in a powerful way. Why do you think? I mean, he was messed up on some things. He wasn't messed up on salvation. He had that right. Why? Because his heart was right with God. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth and show himself strong in behalf of those whose hearts are perfect toward him. Tonight, where is your heart? I'm not asking, what do you do? What do you not do? What are your, what's your list of standards? I'm not asking you that. Where is your heart? I know this, if you'll have a right heart, you'll get standards. If you have a right heart, you will so seek to want to live for the Lord and want to obey the Lord that you will find yourself adding standards to your life. Because you want to please the Lord. Because you want to be a good testimony of what God has done in your life. People could not deny when I got saved that I was a changed person. And as I grew in the Lord, my life changed even more. Because if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Today it seems like there are all kinds of people making professions of faith. But there's no change. Now, the point is, if God really saves a person, something changes. But how much they change. What their growth is going to be has an awful lot to do with where their heart's at. You say, but preacher, how can I tell who's spiritual and who's not? Let me see if I can give you an example tonight from the scripture. And I'm going to need to use a couple of young people here tonight, but I want you to help me out now with this. Let's say that over here in the orchestra, that's Egypt. That's the world. Right here, what is that? And the world. Egypt and the world. Right here, this is the Red Sea. And right here, this is the wilderness. Now the wilderness, of course, the wilderness... They were headed toward where? Canaan land. Now, Canaan is never a picture of heaven in the Bible. Canaan is a picture of the victorious Christian life. Because you see, when they got into Canaan, Canaan, there'd be battles there that they were going to have to fight. We're not going to have to fight battles in heaven. But you see, those are the ones who truly get in the battles with Satan, taking a stand for him, God's people are a peculiar people. They're a chosen generation. They're a royal priesthood, all of that. Now, so over here, let's make Egypt a picture of being lost. And crossing over the Red Sea is kind of a picture of salvation. Now, the Jews already belong to God. I understand that. I just want you to get the picture here. Now, let me see if I can, if I can get some help here. Uh, Joseph, you're a good one. You're standing right there. Uh, come on up here. Help me out. All right, you're in Egypt. So you're in Egypt. All right, God begins working on your life. 
you come to the realization that Christ is your only hope and you take Christ as Savior, come across the Red Sea, and now you're at the beginnings of the wilderness. And you want, you know, Jesus said that the thief cometh not before to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Over there's the abundant life. And you're just now, man, you're out of Egypt. Some things have got to change. Right away, right away, you find that you, get, you stop cussing. That's what happened to me. I got saved. I stopped cussing. Now, that's not always the first thing. You, did you know that about your boy? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> but he got saved. Immediately, he stopped cussing. And that's good. So let's move a little farther up here. Uh, and you start reading the book. You know, they had to get the word of God on Mount Sinai. You don't have to go to Mount Sinai to get it, but this is just a picture. You start reading the Bible, and God starts changing some other things. Uh, you find that some of the things that you were watching on TV, eh, that's not going to help you spiritually. You decide you're going to stop watching some of those things. So we get a little closer to the promised land. And now, here you are. Uh, do you drive yet? Yes. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> You decide you're going to stop speeding, driving recklessly, spinning your tires, making big donuts on the uh, on the parking lot. That's not right, man. Uh, People won't think I'm cool anymore, but that's okay. I'm going to stop doing that. And you're man, you're growing in the Lord. This is tremendous. Oh, but now you're challenged about the music you listen to. Man, I tell you, I love those songs, man, that rock and roll music. I know when I was lost, I loved rock and roll music. And I loved country western music. I loved them both. I'd been a disc jockey in each one of them. Now, you've got a decision to make. Are you willing to make that decision for Christ, to be careful what you allow to come into your head and heart? Tough one. You wait here. You think about it for a while. You know, there were times when Israel was in the wilderness that they had to stop for a while. They just had to stop. Sometimes it was because they were complaining. Sometimes it was other things that they decided to do. But finally, you get victory over it. I'm giving up that filthy rock music. And boy, it's like a breath of fresh air. And it really only gets to you when you go into the store and you hear that stuff playing. And boy, you find your feet tapping. And then and you find you start to sing it. Then you see a Christian and you turn right to Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet to sound. Say, but that's what you want. You want to have a good testimony. You want all of that. So we're making progress toward the land. Now, you know, Israel, unfortunately, when they first got up to where they could enter the land, they didn't do it. They sent spies in and, man, they saw things not like God saw them, unfortunately. And something happens. Perhaps it's a few friends that you had that... Man, I still want to be friends with them, but they don't want to hang around me if I don't listen to the rock music, if I was to speak up while I'm riding in the car with them. Now you've got a real tough decision to make because if I'm going to be like that, they're going to think that I think I'm better than they are. They're, going to, they're not going to have anything to do with me. What are you going to do? Now you hold that thought. Stay right here. You're contemplating on it right now. I need somebody else to get saved, okay? So... Mr. Weaver, you come on up here for me, okay? Come all the way over here to Egypt. No, don't. You can't go that. You're not starting out in the promised land. No, sir. <laughs> now, you, you'll notice about Joseph, man. He got saved and things began to change in his life. 
He had to make decisions. I found that as I was reading the Bible after I got saved and going to church, I mean, I'd make a decision to start going to church uh, every service to be there. I made that decision. All that helped me to grow spiritually uh, in my walk. But I found over and over again there were different decisions I had to make. All right, Robert, come on up here. Got saved, and we're glad to see people get saved. That's just really great. And uh, you didn't even cuss before you got saved, so you didn't have to give that up. But you stopped drinking beer. (laughs) Way to go. Just gave it up. Just gave it up. You're you're off to a good start. And now, let's see, what am I going to do? Well, I could... See, what did I normally do? I, I watch TV when I get home at night. Tell you what, I'm going to start reading my Bible. Are you going to, yeah, you say, I'm going to start reading my Bible. That's good. That's good. And so you get a little bit more spiritual. Well, now, what are you going to do with your music? You going to stop listening to that filthy rock and roll? Can you make a decision like that? You think about that. That's hard. I tell you, music grabs you. Music get a hold, gets a hold of you. But you finally make the decision. I'm going to get rid of that. Now, you got another decision to make. Let's see. Got to quit smoking. I've seen a lot of Christians get defeated by smoking. Hard thing to give up. Just a hard thing to give up. Think you'd give that smoking up? For other people, it might be drugs, but he doesn't take drugs. He's a good boy. He's only a smoker. All right. Can I throw those things away? It's going to be a battle. It's going to take a little while. But I'm going to get rid of the smoking. And so, man, you're on the way too. But now, what was that decision you were thinking about making? Uh, the ungodly friends. Ungodly friends. Have you come to a choice yet? What are you going to do? I'm going to keep going. Ah, so you're going to let those friends go by. All right, let's move a little closer. You stay here. You haven't made that decision yet. <laughs> All right, there you go. Now, he's got one more big decision that he's got to make before he reaches the promised land and is ready to fight all the battles. One more decision he has to make. And so let's see. I don't know what it is, but whatever it is, it's right in here. It might be bitterness toward somebody. It might be bitterness toward parents. And he finally says, no, I'm not going to put up with that. And he turns around. And now he's headed in this direction. Now, let me ask you a question. Right now, this guy's growing in the Lord, but he's still short of some decisions that Joseph had made. But he's headed in this direction. Which one's the most spiritual? I mean, you look at him, he's a lot closer to the promised land than he is. Let me tell you which one's the most spiritual, how you can tell by which direction they're headed. I mean, there are some new converts, buddy. They're just right here. And they have this excitement of the new birth and all that. And they're excited about what they have in Christ. They've started reading their Bible. But they're still short of a lot of decisions that Robert's made. They're still short, way short of Joseph. But you see, he's headed the wrong direction. How many times did the children of Israel say, Oh, that we were back in Egypt. You see, their hearts were still back there, weren't they? They had made decisions. They had come away. But there came a point where they said, no, we're not going in. And they turned around. They're a long way from Egypt. 
But now they're headed in the wrong direction. You see, that's where spirituality is. I love seeing new converts. And yeah, they haven't gotten all the convictions yet. They'll come as they grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. They'll get more convictions. But spirituality is not that they, whether or not they've made as many decisions as Joseph way up front. It's which direction they're headed. Thank you, fellas. You did a great job of that. Thank you very much. Let me tell you something. The spiritual ones in this congregation may not be a deacon, may not be somebody on the pastoral staff. The spiritual ones in this congregation are those that are headed in that direction. Regardless of where they're at in this line, those are the spiritual ones. Those that have said, you know, I'm going this far. I'm not going any farther. I'm not going to make any more decisions like that. This is enough for me. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in behalf of those whose hearts are perfect toward him. Yes, they might be keeping most of the list. But their heart has changed. Just the fact that they do more things right now than they used to, that doesn't mean they're spiritual now. Where's your heart tonight? Amaziah did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a perfect heart. And that was his downfall. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. May the Spirit of God do a work on our hearts to show us where we're at. Are we willing to grow? Are we still willing to make decisions to be more for you in our walk? God, please. Were some folks who look pretty good, look pretty spiritual by the decisions they've made in the past, but they've turned around now and they're headed in the wrong direction. I pray, dear God, they'd recognize that and come and get right with you tonight. Have your way in every life. Perhaps there's someone here who's not even saved. God, we ask the Spirit of God to move upon their hearts. Convict them of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. May they see that Christ is their only hope. May they turn to him and be saved tonight. Have your way in every life, I plead. In Jesus' name.